Talk Raw. This is our second segment in Dysphoria. Um, my co-host, Terry Ellen, always is with me, which is fantastic. Hi, everyone. Um, don't know what I would do without her. Uh, keeps me in check all the time. So we ended off on our last show uh, at around grade 12. And moving forward now into the realms of, uh, you know, later teenage and through the 20s and 30s, basically. We'll see what we can get covered tonight. But uh, I think we've got a lot of good information. Um, I'm Now that I've yacked for a whole bunch of time, um, <laughs> I'm going to let the lovely Terry um, start out and she can carry on with her story and we'll probably be back and forth on a bunch of things tonight because there's a bunch of stuff that we want to cover so okay um my teenage years had a lot of dysphoria some of the most extreme dysphoria i had in my life and until my late 40s when i was uh toward the end of my senior year in high school grade 12 my father told me that my older brother was trans. I was coming home from a, I forget, a lead, what they call the lead out for some of the high school sororities. And he met me at the door and uh, as I was coming in and he goes, I need to talk to you about your brother. Oh, wow. <laughs> coming right in the door. And uh, my brother had, had been in the Navy and, um, I had gotten discharged and was living in Iowa and had wrote them a letter stating that he believed he was a transsexual. I knew none of that prior. Wow. And um, he asked me if I knew what that was. And I know I smiled. <laughs> I was just trying to hide it. Like, yeah, I know what that is. Because <laughs> I was at the time thinking, like, because I'm one too. I know exactly what yeah. that is. Uh, of course, I was going to say that at that period of time, and uh, that's, that dwelled into a whole nother story unto itself. But for me, that helped to really ratchet down my uh, desire to transition, to be a woman and all that, because the mantle of being the oldest son kind of fell to me. Yeah. And um, my younger brother, who was gay, and I didn't find out he was gay until 20 years later, told me, uh, we, we both sort of had the same experience at the time when he, our father told us that our older brother was trans, that that took the queer card for us. For sure. like, oh, well, that's, that's the queer card is taken in the family. I can't do that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so it was with a, a lot of, resolve and, and and trying to gather strength to push all that aside even still suffering with the dysphoria um went into college got into a fraternity i was a sigma chi and um my fraternity turned out to have like half gay guys in the thing <laughs> there were all kinds of rumors about gays in our fraternity and uh turned out that the president of the fraternity at the time, our chapter, was gay as hell. <laughs> uh, found out later in life, and uh, he didn't like me at all. I, I knew I was I was not a gay guy. This was not my thing. Um, and I had really good gay radar, so to speak. I could 
uh, picked the gay guys out pretty quickly. And generally, they didn't like me. So, um, but that was an interesting experience of really not wanting to be in a guy society and then having to conform. Uh, there's a really good article. Uh, it's called, so, you know, what is gender dysphoria that uh, I came across the other day and I've shared it, shared it with Nikki that talks about all kinds of dysphoria. And um, being in the fraternity was definitely a form of, of social dysphoria, of having to be bonding with males and guys and feeling distinctly uncomfortable in doing so, never feeling like you belong feeling like you're a fraud and you're going to be found out at any point in time. And most of my young adulthood was of that. My dysphoria was more along lines of social dysphoria, um, you know, friend dysphoria. Uh, let's see, what were some of the other ones she talked about? It really ring a bell. Um, societal dysphoria. And then, of course, sex, sexual dysphoria and being married. I got married when I was 24 uh, to a girl that I had met in college and was really the first girl that had strong affections for me throughout high school. Uh, girls just wanted to be my friend. And I always thought it was because they could, they could see that I was a girl underneath. And they could see beneath this male veneer that I was real, that I was this male fraud. And, and I was just trying to, you know, hoodwink them. That's, that's what I always thought. It's like, you know, what's, what's the deal? And she was the first one who liked me. It just freaked me out because I didn't have that before. I, I almost wondered what was wrong with her because she liked me. Uh, but she was also a reason I was able to, you know, tap it down, my dysphoria, my desire. And, and all that, and of course, in that period of time, which was the early 80s, where was there to go? There were no therapists, there were no doctors, there were no support groups, there was no internet, you know, I knew so, so little. Um, I mean, I knew about hormones, and I knew about the surgeries, I, I knew about them, but there was no way, at least in my mind, or physically, to be able to attain any of that. And so you just you just try to survive as best you can, and that's what I did with my dysphoria, uh, from societal thing, uh, trying to make male friends, doing male bonding, which I just utterly hated, and that was never good at. Never felt comfortable in groups of guys. I always felt like I was an outsider. It was constant anxiety and uh, ill fitting so to speak. So that part of dysphoria was a constant for me, always. Any group, any guy group, any kind of male bonding, my wife was always pushing me to, to go male bond with somebody, and I just obviously wasn't very successful at it at all. And then, you know, as time went on, we had a child, uh, one son, and uh, that was that was difficult because we had trouble getting pregnant and and there were times i felt like i was just a performing seal <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't much fun at all though we did have a child and um my son who's 26 now has been really 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 great about all of it but as i was talking to nikki a little earlier um 
sometimes my wife would come to bed at three o'clock in the morning. She'd like to stay up at night, wake me up and initiate sex. And oftentimes I would be coming out of a deep sleep. And for me, I would be coming out of this deep sleep, very female. All the protocols and walls and everything that I had in place during the day to function as a guy um, weren't there when I woke up from a deep sleep. And I would be waking up with this uh, person very amorously <laughs> Uh, trying to turn me on and wake me up and, and want to have sex with me. And I'm coming out of it thinking girl and, and reacting in a very feminine way. And um, all of a sudden realizing I'm not a girl. I'm a guy. I'm married to a woman and I can't act like this. And when I would do that, I would physically start to shake the sexual dysphoria of all of a sudden that you've got to perform as a guy and you can't perform as a woman, an anatomically correct woman, is physically rending almost. Just felt like I was going to be ripped in two and I would physically just shake like I was having a shiver. That was horrible. And then my wife would ask me what was wrong. <laughs> Like, what the hell am I going to tell him? You know, I just lie about it. That, uh, you know, I, don't, I, just, I don't know. Shiver. That was, that, was, that was awful. I had several instances of that. That was some of the worst, worst dysphoria because I would have such a physical manifestation of that. Uh, the social dysphoria I could handle more or less you know, because I was conscious it was during the day and you have all these protocols and, and walls and, and, you know, things set up in your, your head mentally to be able to handle these things. Subconscious coming out like that just doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. And then, of course, friendship dysphoria. Being a woman, you want to have women friends. Nothing like a good woman friend. They're just amazing. And being a married guy, that was just taboo. Just taboo. Right. Can't be friends with women. Because you just want to have an affair with them or you want to get in their pants or, or, or whatever. And so it was, you know, you could have just very shallow friendships. And ideally it was always that, you know, it was couple friendships. And when you got together, it was automatically boy, boy, girl, girl. You had to go off and talk about guy stuff. Whereas all you want to do is really go in there with your wife and, and the woman and talk and, and chat and, and all that. And then you couldn't. And you had to act like you were happy about it. That's a dysphoria that really sucks. If you're not comfortable with it. Because there's a lot of talk that, well, I'm trans, but I don't have any dysphoria. Well, if you're not comfortable with doing the stereotypically gender thing that you are, whether you're born male or born female. And it makes you uncomfortable to play the guy role or play the female role or to only have guy friends or to only do the stereotypically guy stuff and you're expected to do that and you're not comfortable doing that. And it makes you feel uncomfortable and you're uneased with it. That's dysphoria. It's where you have a disconnect with what you were assigned, uh, a discomfort, an unease. And I had that. I've had it all my life. 
from being a teenager to being a married guy. And I had a very happy marriage, but it was always there, never went away. I used to talk about, you know, in my mind that it was, it was this pink elephant over in the room. It was always there. I knew it was there and I acknowledged it. It's like, we're not doing anything. You're there, I acknowledge you and, and we're just gonna go on. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're good. I'm good. I know you're there. I let you dress at least once every six months, so we're we're good. Okay, that's how we're going to do it. Because to do otherwise would bring so much pain and anguish and hurt and to everybody else. That for me, I felt like I could handle the pain. I could handle the hurt, causing my loved ones, my wife, my child, my parents, that kind of. I just didn't want. I saw what, what they went through with my older brother and her transition. It didn't make me want to do it. It's, yeah, I've seen both sides of the coin. Yeah, because he saw it face first. I thought your uh, your brother becoming trans and then moving forward with that. So I can see that. Right. You know, and I, I'm I'm curious. So I got to ask a few questions because obviously I think it's important. But I think you know what my interest level. You know, my first questions are: It's like when you when your dad had taken you aside and was talking to you about your, your brother and that, you know, they were transsexual. Did you, did you all of a sudden just take all of those feelings and go, Oh my gosh, now I have to be the son of the family. And did you, did you feel that way? Or did you feel like something different that where you would go, Oh no, well, I still want to be the woman, but I don't have the nerve to say it. Like, how did you, how did you work that through? At that time. Oh, it was it was definite just like, well, there goes that out the window. So there was that at that time, at that specific point in time after he told me. Yeah, it was it was very much a feeling of that. It's like, oh well shit. <laughs> yeah. So there goes you know, as being the second son, it was always like, well, you know, I might have, you know, this yeah. was a possibility to eventually and that kind of Slammed the door a bit for me. Yeah, that squashed everything for you then. Yeah, for a very yeah. long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting that you say that. I mean, well, you know, and, and it's also interesting too, because we could get into a lot of things about genetics and all of that sort of stuff and having your family being the way it was. I mean, you had two individuals that were trans and one individual that was, was gay. Yeah, three sons in the spectrum. And, and in the family, and that, that all went through. So that's a very interesting topic we might get into somewhere else down the road, just in, the, in that sense, because I do find that part of it fascinating, and I've actually done some studies on that, and I think a lot of research has been done on that, but if it is actually a genetic thing that follows in or traits through in a family, and it's kind of one of those that were, yeah, it's an iffy conversation, because it, it could go in, yeah, I, I, in, in different directions, but it is fascinating to see in one family having that occur with three sons. Yes, it is. Okay. So and to have no others in the extended family of cousins and whatnot, no, no gays, no transsexuals, no right. nothing, just us, which is odd. If it's a genetic connection, I have my own theory about what went on with us three. And I believe it's because my mother took DES. Okay, so that's another thing that comes into research. Synthetic estrogen, you know, that was uh, prescribed to prevent miscarriages. And, right. And it does have a known high incidence of causing transsexualism and homosexuality. It's the most likely thing, I think, with some maybe genetic 
pre-deposition uh, toward mm -hmm. it perhaps, but I think primarily the, I can't prove that. No. My yeah. mother doesn't remember taking it and probably wouldn't tell me if she did. Anyway. Because <laughs> she wouldn't want to admit it, that's for sure. <laughs> I know, my mother is the martyr and, you know. Anyway. Yeah, 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 I hear you. So, mm -hmm. okay, well, and, and that's fascinating. So, I mean, you, you obviously had a, a very interesting, um, way of trying to control the story. I think a lot of us in, in those decades really didn't understand or know what was going on. It's not like in this day and age where you've got so much information out on the internet, you've got the internet, you can follow anything. There's so much out there. And a and lot I had of the denial beard. Yeah. Almost my whole adult life. I, I didn't think of it in that term at all. Right. Um, but having a full beard of which I had from the time I was in college to yeah. My late 40s was definitely a means to an end to to deal with the dysphoria. If I had a beard, I couldn't go out dressed as a woman. Yeah. See, and, and for myself, it was different. Um, I had a beard too, and I wore had a beard for quite a while. I mean, I put pictures up on the web and stuff like that, showing a full beard, everything else. You know, I looked like I was like 98 years old and ready to keel over. <laughs> still saying that, but. I always found that the reason why I needed to have that was I was trying to hide the femininity. I like, I did it overboard. I tried to be the alpha male. I tried to prove to everybody else that I wasn't because I was always fearful that I would be seen that way. But yeah, and that was in during, you know, during certain times of that. But so, you know, going back to where I started in like, grade, you know, coming out of grade 12, um, I think at that point in time for myself, like when we talk about dysphoria and everything, I was very similar to, I needed to shut it down. So what better mm -hmm. way to do it? Get married. And I was, I was married at a very young age. I was, I was married at 19. Um, and yeah, so it happens to be that my wife was the exact size as me, which that oh. wasn't a good thing, but it was a good thing, but it wasn't a good thing. I didn't um, have that. But, yeah. You know, so for me it was i got married at a very young age very very irresponsible um i did not have anywhere near the control of what terry did in a lot of ways i was very free running i was i didn't give a shit about a lot of stuff um i didn't take responsibility very well um most of it was purely because of the fact that i knew who i was i couldn't get help there was no place to go i didn't know what to do um, so basically, I mean, going through my, my first, first marriage and that sort of thing, it was a tough time. Obviously, you're young, you're trying to make ends meet in that. I couldn't keep jobs. I couldn't keep anything because I couldn't get control of myself when it came to the dysphoric levels and stuff like that and what I had to live through. Um, you know, I was, at this point, always cross-dressing, like continuously. And that's why I probably couldn't get a job because, and, and I would try to get jobs, but the 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 sense of needing to be me was so strong that literally i my responsibility went out the door and i had to get home and get dressed and i had to be that way because it was just so bad for me um i went through and then you know going rushing in through about eight years a lot of chaos a lot of that sort of stuff and everything um what ended up happening in that relationship, even though she kind of had the inkling, I kind of told her where it really broke down was she came home one day um, unexpectedly 
I was in full dress, heels, pantyhose, uh, long hair, because I always had long hair since the 70s, because it was the rock and roll era, so I always had the long hair, thank God. Um, and it's, you know, and, and she walked in the door, and there it was, and it was pretty much instant divorce right there. You know, she was uh, wow. from, from England. It was a very strong family, not so much on a religious basis or a belief structure, but it was just wrong. And, you know, she basically, that was it. So my relationship went for shit right at that point. Um, it was probably within about, like I was out the door within about 15 days. Okay. Um, then that's where my cycle started to go really, really bad. Um, started to get heavy into drugs, started to hang around with a whole bunch of bad, really bad people. Um, you know, uh, ended up being on the streets in Vancouver for a couple of years living that lifestyle and all of that. Um, it's amazing. I mean, I should have been dead a long time ago. I should have never even made it off the streets of Vancouver, but I did. Um, you know, came back. Um, I had my high school diploma. I knew I, I needed to do something. I was able to get myself clean um, and always continually, no matter what I did in, life, in my whole entire life up until about 20, some, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, um, to really get my shit together, um, so I battled, I was able to get myself into right. school. That's when I went to my, went to university. I was able to get, and I, was, I thought, well, I get, it, get into engineering. I thought I could do something along those lines. So I did end up doing that. I ended up going through, I ended up getting a degree, but through that whole time, very similar to you, Terry, I could not bond with anybody, no friends, no nothing. And every time that I did, it always broke apart. It just, I could not make, friends I, I and you know very similar in in that sense too is that my longing was always to be with the women I didn't want to be with guys but yet in turn those social dysphoria structures that are put into play really created havoc on me as well trying to go through societal that. constraints yes and it was it was very very difficult in those respects because it was like you're being drawn drawn so hard in one direction and yet you have to draw yourself back to the other side. So always trying to overcompensate. And I think that's probably why I couldn't have male friends is because I was always trying to overcompensate, which made those people feel uncomfortable. So, and then, you know, drawing back. So I, it was quite a battle for, for three and a half years, almost four years. I, I was able to get out of university finally totally messed up um through that whole time frame i was basically living male and female all the time so i would go to school i would be at school as the limited amount of time that i could possibly be there to get back home so that i could be myself and living that through that time frame and being single and everything that gave me the ability to be able to feel right and then i had to start to get a job again so now the cycle started again for me that where now i've got to try to push myself into society knowing full well that everything is totally wrong. I'm living lies. There's no information out there really or anything. There was stuff like, I mean, we had gay clubs and stuff like that at that time, but I wasn't gay. I was bisexual, but I wasn't gay. So I still, I couldn't go to a gay club in that. And it made me feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. all the time in that sense. And it really did because it was like, even though I was bisexual and yes, I had the connection for both men and women, I wasn't, 
one or the other because I knew what my true structure was and what I was and what I was about because we know gender is completely different than sexuality and that battle kept happening in my mind all the time so truly that's even a dysphoria in a way is that I can't even you know figure that out as to what's right and what's wrong so the feeling of living a lie oh it is it, a form it, of dysphoria it, it, it's a total lie and I always had so much difficulty trying to figure that part out um, that it really created havoc throughout most, most of my youth and my younger life. So, you know, um, I, I was able to pull my, get my shit together again. Um, I ended up still jumping back and forth, even though I did get a degree, it was still, I was still having difficulty. I couldn't keep jobs. I couldn't do anything. I would try very, very much, but, you know, walking into, uh, a corporation and I I didn't even try to look like a girl and I sense that people knew something was terribly not you know almost terribly wrong which to me it wasn't terribly wrong but they would see that because I always had the really long hair and I never wanted to get rid of it and you know it, back in those days if you were a guy well you better have your hair nicely cut and you better have that suit on and you better have that tie on and you better have those nice shiny shoes on and you better act apart and all of that and I couldn't do that and that's why I would get rebellious again and I would have that internal battle always with myself and it was like well I'm gonna get a haircut Fuck no I can't I can't. this is this if it wasn't for this honestly for a lot of through my life this is what got me through it would seriously my hair helped me immensely to get through really bad times because wow. I was always having that ability to be able to fall back on that. Yeah. I never could have long hair ever. Yeah. Ever. And that's, that's a big thing. Cause like I said, I mean, it was a, one of those kinds of things. So yeah. And then, you know, moving forward from then again, um, I, uh, would hang. Okay. So I would do that hard alpha male. Um, I went straight, back into the clubs again strip clubs the uh, back then the strip clubs were big and in, in where i lived um they didn't even have g-strings like you could go in and everything why was i there huh gee it wasn't because they i wanted to see for the sex and all that no it was because i wanted to see naked females because that's who i was that's what i was about and i i, I grasp onto that um, I used to do some pretty raunchy things back then. Most of the club owners went on the clubs that I would visit and stuff like that. Um, even the waitresses wouldn't serve me because I was so heavily pulled to one side of showing that alpha male. That's when I started to have the big beard. That's when I started to wear the biker coats. That's when I was starting to per show something that where I was just totally overcompensating. I was trying to stuff it in the back of my head. I said, I'm not going to be this way. I have to be, you know, there's no way. So, yeah, I, you know, back in those days, it was bad. Um, you know, I was drug dealing, I was doing all of that kind of stuff and everything. I mean, I basically, I was like, I don't care about my life. I don't give a fuck, honestly. I just don't. Um, it was funny. Um, one of the strip clubs that was down in the downtown area, in the downtown core, um, the strip club was underneath, and it was underneath a, a, a hotel. And because of what I was involved with, I would always rent a room upstairs. And of course, then I could do dealings upstairs, all of that kind of thing and everything. Um, then uh, I would have that room upstairs. And then some of the girls would notice that I'd had a room upstairs. And then, of course, because they were buying from me, because of all of that sort of stuff, they would come upstairs. And it was funny because um, I never made a move on any of them, hmm. ever. And 
the girls started to notice this. What kind of dealer were you anyway? <laughs> I, well, you know. Anyway, so I was upstairs and I would have I would have all of these and then it started to be that all of the dancers would come upstairs and they would be in my room because this is a cool place. They were to safe. Play. They were safe. And they knew full well that even though they would see me, I swear they knew. And they really did, because I never hit on them. I never tried to do it. I was even asked, are you gay? Like, are you not into it? You know, do you, do you, do you see this? <laughs> you know, like, aren't you interested? And they were actually- I said, yeah, I would like that set. Where did you get it? Yeah. yeah, you know, and I would always watch and I was always, always do everything and all of that kind of stuff. But I would never, you know, people were horrified of me. Like I said, guys were scared of me. They were like, bar fights never happened until I actually left. And then bar fights would start. Why? Because I think everybody thought that I'd pull a gun and start killing everybody. And it was, you know, it was that bad back then. And, you know, it's a part of my life that I wish I could do over again, but I couldn't. But we talk about dysphoria. And, like, I took it to the extreme of trying to not yeah, be Of trying to bury it. And that is common in our community. Right. You know, Chris Beck, who was a Navy SEAL, death mm -hmm. wish, huge death wish with her. Uh, even Caitlyn Jenner doing the Uber um, athlete, you know, winning the uh, pentathlon. Yeah. So it's common with us trying, trying to run away, trying to man up, trying to. I mean, I've seen some stuff that says twenty-five percent of the military are transgender people. Yeah, trying to get it beat out of them, trying, trying to get the discipline, trying yeah. to Uber masculine or even as a female to man up so to speak yeah it's common it is yeah so i battled that all the way throughout and i always knew something and so anyway what ended up happening was back then is that um there was only one waitress that ever would serve me because none of the other waitresses served me because they were terrified and the owner the club owners were terrified they didn't know but there was this one waitress that always served me guess who ended up being my second wife <laughs> no not her no, not her. Um, you know, she was always the one that uh, would treat me amazing. And the problem with her was, and that was her situation, was the fact that uh, she was drawn to that sort of a thing. And that's why. Now, saying that, she didn't do drugs. She didn't drink or anything, but she was still drawn to that. So anyway, that's how I ended up meeting my second and last wife was her um very much similar i think to terry in the sense that she grounded me in a lot of ways mm -hmm. and was able to protect me from myself in a lot of ways and so i still remember when i was dating her i started to feel a lot better um and i should mention one thing too that when i was dealing drugs i wasn't doing them I just dealt to make the money because I, I needed to make money because I wasn't working. So, but I never did it because I knew for a fact that that would just kill me again or try to attempt to kill me. And I've already been trying to kill myself for a bunch of times as it is to get away from this. So, you know, she kind of grounded me and I started to clean up, clean up a bit and I started to get my shit together. And I, yes, I know I have, a female cat jumping. Yeah, I saw that. Head. Usually it's mine in the background. Yeah, but you she's just one. Bed, so it's not <laughs> a big deal. Um, but anyway, so ended up uh, getting married, um, you know, and at that point in time and starting to do that, I engulfed myself in my relationship. 
which in turn helped me because then I engulfed myself in education again. Um, I was able to then focus, start focusing and, and generating everything up to until about 1980, you know, 1995, and which by this time, we were already traveling and everything, you know, doing some traveling, things were getting a lot better. She had a, a fairly decent job and we would travel. Um, but yet in turn, even though I was trying to ground myself, I was still trying to kill myself. And I, and I almost killed her. And I remember us uh, at a time, we, had a, we got a Corvette and we were di driving down through the States in through uh, uh, Washington State in a small town called Wenatchee. And I hit a corner called Canadian Corner because there's been so many accidents on that corner. I hit that corner and rolled a vet 10 times. Oh. Okay. And like literally rolled it 10 times. There was nothing left of that car. I ended up, for whatever reason, walking out without a scratch. And I remember going around the other side of the car because she was in there and I opened the door and I yanked it open. And the thing was, she was like passed right out. <laughs> she didn't even know what happened. It didn't even, and I hit the seatbelt and that's what woke her up because she went and landed her head into the freaking roof of the car that was upside down and God. Her up. Okay. And I grabbed her and got her out and I was like terrified. I thought I killed her. I thought I was like horrified. And I think at that point in my life, that really changed things in a way that where I realized, you know, I didn't realize that I was trying to do that to myself. I'm aware of what I was trying to do now, but at that time I wasn't. And what scared the hell out of me was almost killed her. Yeah. And I think that really changed a lot because I think again, it was just like, okay, no, it's time to get it together. So obviously we, the car was totaled, like boom, done, gone. Um, you know, uh, never got another car again for a while in that regard. Cause I mean, we didn't, you know, we had insurance and that sort of stuff and yeah, but it was the dealership's car cause we hadn't fully paid it off. So the dealer just took it, got the write off, got the insurance money. That was it. We didn't have anything again. Um, that point really changed me. And I think that helped me kind of hold it back again. Um, I was still cross-dressing, all of that sort of stuff. I, should, I would make mention, too, that I did tell my, uh, my wife prior to the time of us getting married that I was trans or that, or that there was something. But, of course. So she knew. She knew. Okay. My wife never knew, ever. Right. Until but she I, knew. I came out. Um, but the, the thing was, though, too, is, is that she thought she could change me. Well, they all do. They all do. But it is what it is, right? So anyway, then I kind of uh, progressed through that. I got to a point where um, pulled back out, cleaned myself up, said, I'm putting this in the closet again. There's no fucking way this thing is ever going to come out again. I'm done with this. I almost killed somebody because of the stupidity of me trying to, you know, and I really thought I could do it. Um, and I did, did, didn't do too bad. I, 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 was, I, I made it for a while, probably about another six years. And I was able to go back to school. I was go back to, I uh, got another degree, all of that kind of stuff and everything. Um, and then started a, a, a software company uh, in 95. And then that's where things got bad again. Because then the internet came back into play and you could start finding out about a whole bunch of stuff. And like, yeah. Terry, like Terry, I had done some research before. You know, I knew individuals that were trans in, in the old days. Uh, I studied the history of my city and transgender history all the way back to 1915. 
okay? And I just actually did a public speaking engagement in regards to the trans history in, in my city. Um, but at that point, I was very heavily focused on trying to develop a corporation. I realized that in the early, in the mid part of the 80s and 90s after I had this situation, um, I realized that I couldn't work for anybody else anymore. It wasn't gonna work. So what did I have to do? My best, most logical thing was, was to become an entrepreneur and to try to develop and be myself because then at least I was my own boss and then that way I wouldn't have any potential conflict of issues or anything with anybody along the way and at right. least then I could at least control my own destiny. So, I mean, I'm, I'm up to about, you know, 1995. Um, and, and so that starts to change the whole story again, where it gets to. Um, but we're getting pretty close to running at about 30 minutes or 35 minutes here. So well, that's okay. We sort of in that and next one, yeah. we can segue into, you know, where we come out, go full time. What kind of led to that? Why, yeah. why then not earlier yeah. when we were younger, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I think we're, I think we're both in it around the same area of time when we talk about where we've been now. So we're going to end it off there. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening to us. We really appreciate you guys, uh, you know, uh, listening to our stories and everything. Uh, we hope that it helps, um, you know, even just hearing other people having these types of situations and what they've gone through. And I think really the big focus is, yeah, the young people, they have a lot of things that they have got now, maybe not married or maybe, you know, but there's a lot of stuff out there that you can do. I think a lot of our story might be able to help individuals that are older that can understand and see where maybe we've been. Maybe that right now you're listening to the show and you're thinking to yourself, shit, this reminds me of a whole bunch of stuff. You know, maybe you're married, maybe you're, you're in the same situation or the same boat as us. So, Always remember, you can always get a hold of us uh, in, in, on, on the website. We've got our email addresses up and that sort of thing. You can get a hold of us if you want to talk. If you want to do anything, please know that we're here for you. So we're going to end off the show tonight. We really appreciate it and everything that uh, you are uh, part and parcel um, to our stories. And uh, we wish you a very, very good evening. And we look forward to having you uh, uh, on our next show. Join us again. You bet. Hopefully you're there. So everybody have yourself a wonderful evening and uh, we will see you in our next and third and final segment of Dysphoria. Dysphoria. Dysphoria.